0: How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Buddy's House of Horror Podcast, and welcome to part one of every horror film that I saw in 2023 reviewed. I want to thank you guys for checking out the House of Horror this year, and we're just going to get right to the show because you know how I am. I like to keep my intro short and sweet, but I just want to remind you guys, if you haven't already, to please make sure you're subscribing to my show wherever you're listening to the show, whether it be YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your show, make sure you are supporting it by subscribing, sharing it with a friend, and doing all of those great things and if you're watching this over on youtube please make sure you're giving this video a thumbs up as well and with that we're just going to get right to the show so now let's get spooky How is it going, everyone? Welcome back to another terrifying episode of Buddy's House of Horror Podcast, and welcome to what I am as sure is the first of many parts, many segments of reviewing every single horror film that I saw this year, the year of 2023. One of these years, I'm going to learn my lesson, one of these years, I'm going to record about each and every one of these films right after watching it. So it's fresh in my brain. I'm not thinking back all the way back to January. Of course, now it is fall time. I'm thinking all the way back to January up until the current time about all these films that I saw. All I have are my little chicken scratch notes, a quick letterboxed, um star ranking, and things of that nature to try to remember these films. One of these years, I'm going to do it where after I watch a film, I go record for about two to three, five minutes, just my general thoughts on the film, splice it all together, and then that will be every horror film that I saw in that given year. Maybe for 2024, I'll do that. Maybe for 2025, I will do that. I'm not sure, but that's something I'm going to have to do. Not that I don't enjoy doing the podcast in this fashion, but you know, I'm just trying to think of Ways that I can keep the show fresh, keep the show interesting, and I think that would be an interesting sort of way to do it. So maybe at some point I'll do that, but for now you're getting the good old-fashioned Buddy scrolls through his Letterboxd account and talks about every single film that he saw in 2020. So we're going to get right to it right now. So here we are. I don't know why I'm talking like this because we're in the episode. This is not an intro. I'm doing a second intro to an episode that already started, but it's fine. Uh, Maybe it's because I'm wigging out on this coffee I just had. For those of you guys that know, I do frequent Starbucks around this time of year to get the pumpkin cream cold brew. Today, I went for more traditional um, hot coffee. Um, Variety. My normal white coffee drink when I go to my normal white coffee drink, my normal hot coffee drink is a white chocolate mocha um, served hot. Sometimes I'll go a little crazy, get a couple pumps of something else in there. Maybe some cinnamon dolce, maybe some hazelnut. But today it was just the straight hot um, white mocha. That's what that's been my go to drink for Starbucks for many, many years, ever since I started going to Starbucks, which was probably. Last like 10 years or so, I've been going to Starbucks. I used to live like right down the street from a Starbucks. Um,. But it's not something I grew up with. There was never a Starbucks in my hometown and anything. And the real Starbucks craze sort of happened when I was not really getting it that much. I still don't get it that often, but if I do stop and get a coffee somewhere, I'm typically more inclined to get it from a Starbucks rather than a Dunkin' Donuts or something like that. Um, I do enjoy local coffee shops as well, but then you got to get out of your car. you got to walk in there. A lot of times I know people that are in there. ...when I'm going into the coffee shop. So if I'm just trying to get coffee and get going, you know, I'm not going to a get-go. I'm going to a Starbucks to get my coffee fix. I'm going to be getting the pumpkin cream cold brews very, very soon. But today, sticking with the hot coffee... Um, and they say hot girls, they always have at least three drinks, so I had the hot coffee, I've got a Gatorade Frost here, and I've got my water, so three drinks, I am fucking good to go, we're ready to talk about some horror films, I hope all of you guys have been enjoying the House of Horror so far, I'm not exactly sure When in the release schedule this episode is going to be coming out, but I hope that no matter when this comes out in the month, you have been enjoying all of the episodes so far, or if this is the very first episode, it probably won't be the very first episode, but if for some reason this is the first episode I put out, welcome to the House of Horror. There's no way this is going to be the first episode. But this might be someone's first episode who hasn't seen the show before or listened to the show before or isn't familiar with the show. If this is your first episode with me, thank you for joining me along for the ride. If you guys have any friends who are interested or might be interested in the House of Horror, please make sure you're pointing the show in their direction. Um, Share this link with a few friends, family members, anyone who is into anything in the spooky realm, horror films um vacation horror i want to do an episode about all the best places you can go on vacation if you are a horror fan horror literature on the horrors of real life we've talked about true crime and stuff like that on the show before um if there's anyone in your life that you think would enjoy this show make sure you're sending them a link to the show getting them in touch with me and yeah help spread the good word of the house of horror and with that i think that's enough housekeeping for this episode. I'm sure I'm going to go on many tangents, as I tend to do, but we're just going to dive right into the horror films that I saw this year. Again, this is part one out of at least three to four parts, I would imagine, of this. I don't know how many are going to be coming out in October, but this is going to be the first part out of what I would assume to be several parts covering all of the films this year, because I watch a lot of films, more than I can cover in one podcast if I talk about them more than like five seconds I could go through a whole podcast There could be one podcast where I just list everything out but I do like to touch on the films give you a little synopsis tell you what I thought of the film tell you what I remember about the film what I don't like about the film um just anything just in a couple minutes nothing too crazy these aren't in-depth reviews they're just general reflections and just quick like bullet point stuff about all the films that I watched. A lot of the films in this list I will be covering on more in-depth episodes of the show, or I have previously covered in-depth on other episodes of the show. So for some of them, I'm not really going to go too much into at all, and just point you in the direction of the episode which covers it more in detail. Um, The first one we're starting off with, we're in January of 2023, only watched a couple horror films this month. Some of them were, well, one of them was a rewatch. The first one here is a rewatch of one of the newest horror classics. One of the new characters who you can see sitting right next to Michael Myers. You see him sitting right next to, you know, Jason Voorhees, even Sam from Trick or Treat. Um, Pennywise, the the new horror icon is Art the Clown. It is without a doubt Art the Clown is the newest horror, you know, horror character that we can see as like a mainstream kind of big horror fixture. In a few years, you're going to be walking into Halloween stores, um, Spirit Halloweens and stuff like that, and just seeing Art the Clown all over the place, I feel. He is the new Freddy Krueger. He's the new Michael Myers. He is that new guy, at least for right now. Um, but I rewatched the first Terrifier. It was the first time in a few years that I had went and rewatched Terrifier. Um, because Jared and Maisie, of course, my dear friends, Mazer, Laser and Dynamite Jared from the Brain Damage podcast. Um, they hadn't seen it. So we had them over one night and we're like, fuck it. We are going to watch Terrifier. The original plan was to watch Terrifier and Terrifier 2 in the same night. Um, but we only watched the first one, only watched the first one, excuse me from 2016 directed of course by Damien Leone, a maniacal clown named Art terrorizes three young women and everyone else who stands in his way on Halloween night. The first one, very short film, short sweet to the point. Second one, very long film. Um I think that if you could have sort of balanced it out a little bit better, you'd have good 2-hour movies like slightly over an hour and a half movies, but regardless we have one that's under 90 minutes we have one that's well over two hours so that's just kind of the way the cookie crumbled but you know it is what it is as i said the first time watching it with them they both seem to enjoy it um i think it's the perfect runtime as i said and of course this isn't the first film to feature the art the clown character but it's the first one where he's sort of the central focus Uh, of the film the first one was the anthology all Hallows eve but this is the first one where it's all about art it's the first one where it's played by the same actor who plays him in terrifier 2 was portrayed by a different person in the all Hallows eve film um great kills great gore um not just from art but one of his former victims in the intro has a great kill in there um one scene that always sticks out in my mind it's the pizza shop scene and of course there's the big kill at the end, which I don't want Well, I guess it's like midway through the film, which if you haven't seen it, um, it's definitely something worth watching the film for. Um, it's very gory. It's very violent, but sort of the general vibe of the film is that it's also kind of funny. Like, although the kills are gory and disturbing and horrendous, um, it's all taken with that sense of humor. It's all taken with a grain of salt. Like it's not something that's like too dark and violent where it's genuinely disturbing i mean on paper it is when like you read it but like watching it and in that tone and in the certain environment that you're in you know that everything is all in good fun especially behind the scenes like you know everyone just had a blast doing all this kind of stuff um all art on top of his like violent and gory um kills which he is known for he also uses a gun in the film which i think is hysterical Um, it does have a little bit of story structuring issues that I don't agree with. Um, but overall, I guess it doesn't really matter too much. Like there's a big focus on a few certain characters midway through the film or like towards the final act, it sort of shifts its focus onto other things, um, without giving too much away, um, which I don't really agree with. I wish that you could have done this a little bit differently, kind of made the overall story feel more cohesive. But as it is, it's not really like a deal breaker or anything. It is what it is. So those are my brief thoughts on Terrifier. And coming up the next day, I watched a film which had been on my list since it came out. Um, I watched it about three years too late um, because I've been wanting to watch it since it came out in 2020. The Wolf of Snow Hollow, watched by me on January 15th, 2023. Directed, starring, and written by Jim Cummings. A different Jim Cummings, not the guy who played Winnie the Pooh, um, but a different guy. Um, Welcome to Snow Hollow. A stressed out police officer struggles not to give in with the paranoia that grips a small town as bodies turn up after each full moon. Um, As I said it was all written directed and starring by the same guy. Um, He's a good actor. He reminds me a lot of my friend Jesse DeFranco and his style of acting. So I guess like I have like this little connection to the film that like I didn't know just because the main character really reminds me of an actor I really admire and I'm friends with and who I think is absolutely phenomenal. So like just like seeing this film through that light it made me like the film maybe a little bit more than I would have normally just because of the similarities he has with one of my friends. Um as far as his character in the film though, he's a dick. Um but he's sort of a likable dick within like the context of the film. Um one thing that I do love to this, it's like a mystery, right? They're thinking that a werewolf is attacking the town, part of the town is like, oh, it's a real werewolf, some people think it's not a real werewolf, it's your typical werewolf movie kind of stuff, um, and one thing that I do like, and, and is that I'm sure that if you were to re-watch the film again, which I do plan on doing at some point, it seems like it's one of those films where it kind of, like, hints all the way through what the reveal is gonna be, and it sort of gives little winks and nods throughout, and so watching it again, I'm sure I'm going to pick up on all kinds of stuff, um, Easter eggs and stuff like that. If you go back and watch it again, I'm sure um, my biggest gripe about the film is because of kind of what I wanted it to be, rather than what it was, but it that is a spoiler. So I'm just going to kind of leave it at that was that I wish the story kind of went in a different direction, which I think could have been a really cool idea. But the way the story is, the way it plays out, I still think is a a three-and-a-half-star film. So, I mean, my gripes that I have with it, it just stops it from being a great, great film. And just a great film, just a good film, just a film that I really like. It takes it from being something that I thought could have been like one of my favorite modern horror films, I guess. But regardless, I really enjoyed The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Um... There's not a whole lot to say about it without giving things away. Just a great mystery. It has a great sense of humor to it. Humor as well as thrills as well as horror elements. Um, it does play out like a thriller at some points. Um, I think it is really good. It has a good like opening segment in it as well. And yeah, I just really enjoy the film. So Wolf of Snow Hollow, definitely go and check it out. Rounding out the month of January in terms of horror. I only watched one more horror film this month and it was, of course, Skinamarink, which I have covered in depth on a podcast. I did like a whole hour episode covering Skinamarink. So, of course, it came out in late 2022 at film festivals and stuff, widely released in 2023, directed by Kyle Edward Ball, In This House. Two children wake up in the middle of the night to find their father is missing and all the windows and doors in their home have vanished. This was the first time I watched it. We watched it in theaters. I told the story in the podcast that I did how we found our cat Binky on the street, brought him into the house, and now we have our little Skinnamarinky Binky who lives with us. Um, Brand new member of the family who I will think about Skinnamarink every time I think of my cat because it was the same night. Um, I've rewatched the film since. I've watched it twice and if you want to see my full thoughts and opinions on the film, I definitely would recommend checking out my full review of Skinner from back in February, I believe I released it. So I will direct you guys there to go and check out my thoughts on Skinner Did I love it? Did I hate it? I'm not going to tell you. I would rather you just watch the episode and see so, yeah, that is it for the month of January. And now we're going to move on to the month of February, where I watched, in comparison, quite a few more films than I did in January. So, the first watch of February that was not a rewatch, because as I said, I rewatched Skinner Marink in February. Coming up on February 10th, I watched for the first time a film that I had heard about for years from Jared, one of his. I don't want to say one of his new favorites, but a film that he definitely talked about a lot and a film that he watched this film and the sequel and like it would come up in conversation um, fairly often was Hell House LLC, which is a found footage film from 2015. It is the first film in what became a trilogy, but I would imagine that there would be a few more after this. Um, hopefully because I do although the series and I don't want to go into in-depth because I might be covering this series in another episode so when I'm talking about Hell House LLC I'm also going to keep it a little bit brief but it's a series that I enjoy I enjoy the Hell House LLC series even though I can acknowledge that not all of the films are good and I can acknowledge that The majority of the films in the franchise like two out of three of the films really aren't that great but i just really sort of enjoy them for some reason it's just something about them makes me kind of like drawn to them i don't know why but the first hell house llc i can vouch for is a good solid found footage film just to sort of give you a little synopsis of the plot Five years after an unexplained malfunction causes the death of 15 tourgoers and staff on the opening night of a Halloween haunted house tour, a documentary crew travels back to the scene of the tragedy to find out what really happened. And this film, I watched it not too far off from another film of like a similar genre and style, which was the WNUF Halloween special. I watched this a couple months later. I do see a lot of similarities to that film although this obviously came out first but I don't want to say I get the two confused because they are very different in a lot of ways but they're just sort of similar style similar vibes you're going into a place where a tragedy happened when probably you shouldn't it's found footage it's low budget so they're just very similar kind of films um, Hell House LLC as I said it sort of started what is about to be a franchise I guess and it follows they they go into the haunted house and they're trying to make their own haunted house attraction again after the tragedy had occurred a few years before you see at the beginning of the film I believe sort of like a flash forward to what happens and then it sort of leads you up into that point and then you get your payoff at the end um I like the characters in the film they are a lot of fun there, you know, you have the mastermind of the haunted house who wants everyone there and he's hiring the actors and it has a creepy clown in the film. I'm sure that you've seen images of the clown and it's basically just like a mannequin with a clown mask, but it's appearing and reappearing in strange areas of the house. And it's a film that I, as I said, I don't want to go too much in depth into because I do Maybe if it's not in this year's House of Horror, I do want to do an entire episode sort of covering the whole series because I have watched the whole series. So Hell House LLC, I do recommend the first one Uh, in the same day later that night. And I had envisioned putting this film on and there had been all kinds of hype around the film, right? This next one I'm about to talk about. There was so much hype, so I was either like, this is going to be good, it's going to be bad, I don't expect it to like blow me away or anything, because I don't really buy into hype um, with films, but I genuinely thought it was phenomenal. It was so good, in fact, I put it on late at night, thinking if it sucks, I will fall asleep during the film, and then that'll be the end of it, but I started it at 11 o'clock at night, and I finished it. Like, I stayed up. I was not tired at all. My eyes were glued to the screen. I was not fading in and out at all. I was completely captivated and gripped, like, right from the film started. And that film is The Menu. Um, Debatable whether or not it's a true horror film. It's it's more of a thriller. but definitely has some horrific elements to it. Very surprised by it, as I said, because it was strikingly different from what I thought the film was going to be. Um I don't know I sort of had like a notion in my head kind of how it was going to go but it completely was something totally different from what I imagined. I tried not to read too much up on the film before watching it. I kind of just looked at the poster and stuff like that. Saw a couple reviews online but didn't watch any real trailers for it. Didn't read up on like the behind the scenes or anything like that because again it was a film that was like hyped so much that I kind of was like, well if I ever watch this damn thing I want to go in like as blind as possible. Try to keep my expectations blank. And this was a a relatively new release at the time. Like it came out like maybe a couple months prior to when I watched it. I watched it like as soon as it hit to streaming. Wonderful surprises await you all. As they did. They awaited me for sure. A couple travels to a coastal island to eat at an exclusive restaurant where the chef has prepared a lavish menu with some shocking surprises. And shocking they are. Um, it was a lot of fun. I mean, this film was just... It's one that I, another one that I would like to rewatch at some point. It's just so fun to watch. Um, it's part Saw. It's part the Twilight Zone episode, The Mask. It's part Dangerous Game. There is so much sort of engulfed into this film. And I don't want to give every, like, I'm saying that over and over again, but I don't want to give everything away with these. It's part saw because everyone is there. Okay. So they all go to this Island, right? And they are, it's all rich people. It's all the elite. They're getting this exclusive dinner by this masterful chef, but they're all there for a specific reason. They were all handpicked to be there because they're all shitty fucking people all in this mastermind puts it all together. So immediately you think jigsaw and how he is planning out all of these steps for these people. So it's very much jigsaw it's very much dangerous game um because you're hunting humans, I guess um, in dangerous game there's a similar sort of aspect that happens in this as well, which definitely gave me dangerous game vibes and Twilight Zone the mask where, basically there's the old man and all the family wants to inherit his fortune and he basically calls them all out for being the shittiest people of all time so it's definitely like that as well so it has a combination of three things that i really enjoy um there's great acting all the way around in the film stellar performances from everyone um and you're Anya Taylor-Joy, she can do no wrong. She's great in everything that she's in. Same with Ray Fiennes. Um, Of course, one of my favorite films from him, Grand Budapest Hotel. Not so much a Harry Potter fan, but he was great in the small clips from those movies that I have seen. I have not seen the majority of the Harry Potter cinematic experience. Um, I haven't seen very much with Nick Holt in it up until that point. Of course, he was in Renfield, which I saw later but everything that I did see him in previous to that, like warm bodies and stuff like that, I mean, he's good in everything that he's been in as well. So good stellar performances from the three leads. Of course, Luigi is in it. John Linguazama, who played Luigi from the Super Mario Brothers movie in the 90s, he's in it. He's fun. Um, It reminds me, in hindsight, it reminds me of those elite, elite rich people, just like the ones that were on that submarine. that went to the titanic you don't feel bad when bad shit happens to them so like in hindsight this movie could be the submarine um it's a fish out of water story um and it's a more recent film that it kind of reminds me of is something like midsummer um there's lots of philosophy involved it's not as i said it's not like a real traditional horror film it's more psychological thriller with some horror elements into it Um, It's a, it's a film I really want to rewatch in the future because I'm sure there's a tons of things in it that I missed. Um, But what I did see in it, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed the dynamic between um, Andy Taylor-Joy's character and Ray Fiennes. They kind of have like this special connection because both of them sort of came from nothing. So they sort of share this like unique bond where, although Ray Fiennes is doing some evil, maniacal things. He kind of doesn't want anything bad to happen to her because as we come to find out, she was never supposed to be there. So a lot of twists and turns in the film. I really enjoy it a lot. The menu, four stars from me, which I have been getting a little generous with my letterbox scores as of late, or maybe I've become more appreciative of film as of late um but i found myself rating stuff highly more frequently at least in this last year i found myself sort of rating things highly which is good cuz i've been enjoying a lot of stuff so the menu four stars for me and coming up next is one of my least favorites of the year that i watched and one of the least favorites of the year because it was a new release and miles and i have talked about it a little bit on some shows but dear god Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, I, I kind of don't want to drag it through the dirt because I do know that they are making a sequel. I do not have any bad intentions towards the film crew or anything like that. I hope that they can make something really great with the second one. I hope that they make it a lot better than this first one because I did not enjoy this first one. Leading up to the event, um, I had to get a hot honey chicken sandwich before just to kind of... Make the vibes all around Winnie the Pooh esque. We went to a restaurant and I happened to see there was something on the menu that had honey in it, and I was like, Well, fuck, we're going to see Winnie the Pooh blood and honey. Definitely got to get the hot honey sandwich. Um, I gave this film a half star on Letterboxd, which is quite the task to earn a half star from me on Letterboxd. I've rated more films five stars than I have half a star and I barely rank any film five star on letterbox but there's even less half stars and I've rated I think two films this year half stars so they're tied for the worst films that I've seen this year but one of them is Winnie the Pooh: Blood and Honey saw it February 15th 2023 it was a special showing um, I believe I think it was like a one night only event my review on letterboxd picture the worst YouTube fan film you can imagine now put it into theaters. That is what Winnie the Plue Blood and Honey felt like to me. This ain't no bedtime story. Christopher Robin is headed off to college and he has abandoned his old friends Pooh and Piglet, which then leads the duo embrace the leads to the duo embracing their inner monsters. So what about this film doesn't work? Pretty much everything. Um I understand that there are some legal things going on because Winnie the Pooh the big deal with this one was Winnie the Pooh went into the public domain so they're like fuck it we're gonna do a Winnie the Pooh horror film problem with that is is it doesn't really feel anything like Winnie the Pooh like it feels like and I don't want to speak for the director but I get the sense that like the director really wasn't a big Winnie the Pooh fan I guess like, I think it would have been better if you did it more faithful to the source material, but made it horror. This is simply, it's just a slasher film and it's a dude in a Winnie the Pooh mask. Like that's all it is. Like it's nothing. They do try to tie it in at the beginning. Like there is some Winnie the Pooh lore in it, but at the end of the day, it's a dude in a Pooh mask killing people. Like it's not anything like you're not going to find a bunch of references to it, It's not something that was made for fans of Winnie the Pooh. It was made as a cheap cash grab because Winnie the Pooh was in the public domain. It's it's not like they were very passionate about the intellectual property they were adapting, I guess. Like, I don't... Again, like, I don't want to really drag it completely through the dart, but I do need to address that it just wasn't well done. It, there was nothing about it that was well done. Shitty acting, um... It looked kind of sleek at some points, like the camera work wasn't the worst, but it definitely wasn't anything to write home about. I'll read Miles's review of this because Miles is a champion of this film. He thinks it's a modern masterpiece, Um, but he says it's probably one of the dumbest films in cinematic history, but I couldn't take my eyes off it. Pure trash in the best way possible. (laughs) Cried laughing a ton. I am not sure if I've seen characters make worse choices in a film ever there were some pretty bad choices from the characters in this. Like they're getting trapped in a house and I don't know, like there's so many ways that they could have defended themselves. So many ways that they could have escaped and it's just like so dumb. And I wish they would have brought more characters in. Like at the beginning of the film, you see um, basically one of the plot points at the beginning of the film is they're abandoned in the forest. So they need to eat Eeyore to survive so like there's eeyore there's like owl and um rabbit i guess in this too but they don't really show them like in costume in the film it's just like through animation at the beginning so like i wish that there could have been more characters involved in this besides just Pooh and piglet um like you didn't have to kill off eeyore eeyore like that's someone they could have used in the film to spread some more mayhem but it is what it is I would imagine the sequel is coming out the same time that Tigger goes into the public domain. So I'm hoping to see Tigger in the new movie. I'm hoping that in the new movie, they, I don't just all around. I wish they just do better than the first one because it is such a like unique idea. It's really the first time that a major property has been made like this, like in theaters, a legit version, not a YouTube fan film something that you can put in theater, something that's legal to do, and I feel they squander that opportunity. I feel like it's a really missed opportunity for something like that. So for me, not a fan, didn't like it. Hoping for the best. I wish all the filmmakers the best of luck making the sequel, because I genuinely hope that it's something good. I genuinely hope that I can go and watch it, and it's something that I enjoy and don't have to bitch about. I want to enjoy films. I don't go into a film wanting to hate on it, I want to enjoy films, I'm spending money to go see these films, I want to have a good time, and the entire time in this film, I disagree with Miles about him laughing so hard, because I was sitting in this film, I had the deadest stare the entire time, I don't think I laughed, I didn't like, you know, I didn't jump from any of the scares, nothing, it was just deadpan the entire film, and that's not what I want when I go to see a horror film. I want to at least enjoy myself in some ways. Um, I have similar opinions to a film we'll talk about later on um, in the year about films that are supposed to be so bad that they're good, but there's just something like not genuine about it or there's something, I don't know. There's a difference between so bad it's good and so bad it's bad. Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey definitely falls into so bad that it is absolutely... Horrendous, So bad. Half star from me on Letterboxd, which is almost unheard of, as I said. But coming up next, I guess as sort of a pa- palate cleanser. I guess it ironically worked out this way. I got to watch American Movie, one of my favorite films. Not a horror film, but a film about the making of a horror film. So, as you guys know, I teach at Cleveland State. And I want to show this film every semester that I teach. So American Movie made its appearance on this, um, uh, what day was it, February 16th. On this February afternoon, I brought the students together to watch American Movie, The Making of Northwestern also the making of coven which is primarily what they are making in the film american movie is the story of filmmaker mark borchardt his mission and his dream spanning over two years of intense struggle with his film his family financial decline and spiritual crisis american movie is a portrayal of ambition obsession excess in one man's quest for the american dream In my top five films of all time, I've done an episode of American Movie and Coven double feature on the show before, so definitely go check that out. I believe that was from either 2021 or 2020, one of those years we did American Movie and American uh, Coven in the same podcast. It was a double feature. So definitely go check that out. It's a film I would love to do. I could do a whole commentary on the film. I would love to get Mark Borchardt on the show someday. So if you guys have personal, deep-rooted, personal connections with Mark Borchardt, I would love to have him on the show. Uh, but regardless, I'm not going to talk about an American movie that much because it is not a horror film. And this is Buddy's House of Horror. We're talking about horror. And we're talking about a horrendous film that is coming up next, which is Hell, Hell, C- Hell House LLC 2. The Abaddon Hotel. Oh dear God. (laughs) What is there for me to say about Hell House LLC 2. The Abaddon Hotel. Um, Directed by the same mastermind as the first one. This one a couple years later in 2018. As you guys know I have bad luck with stuff called Abaddon. Not a fan of the film Abaddon. Not a fan of Hell House LLC 2. The Abaddon Hotel. This one, well, let's see on Letterboxd what they have to say about it. Eight years after the opening night tragedy of Hell House LLC, many unanswered questions remain. Thanks to an anonymous tip, an investigative journalist is convinced that key evidence is hidden inside the abandoned Abaddon Hotel. She assembles a team to break into the hotel in hopes of discovering the truth but the source of the tip and the secrets of the Abaddon Hotel are more horrifying than any of them could have imagined. The acting in this film is horrible. Like, that is the main detriment to Hell House LLC 2. Um, the first one has decent acting. The third one, which we're going to talk about in a second, naturally um, has pretty decent acting, I mean, there's some shitty stuff in there as well, but it was way worse in Hell House LLC 2. Borderline unwatchable, um, again, I don't want to say too much about the film, because as I said, I kind of want to do more of a series retrospective at some point, so I'm going to keep my thoughts on Hell House LLC 2, relatively brief, just know I gave it one and a half star, which, as I said, it's kind of rare for me to give something under uh, something like under two stars. So, not a fan. Hell House LLC 3, The Lake of Fire. The Abaddon Hotel will once again open its doors to the public, and the evil lurking within shall finally be unleashed. This one, it took them less time to make this one. This one was only a year later in 2019. Set one year. After the events of Hell House LLC 2, the hotel is on the verge of being torn down when it is purchased by billionaire Russell Wynn as the new home for his popular interactive show, Insomnia. He invites journalist Vanessa Shepard and her crew to record everything happening inside the hotel leading up to the performance, but they soon encounter a more nefarious plot, one that threatens to unleash a veritable hell on earth. Um, there's lots of stuff that's reused from the first two films in this which is kind of what one of the biggest detriments is, Um, especially during the opening segments. There's a lot sprinkled throughout the film when they're exploring their hotel Um, it'll cut back in from what happened there last time that someone was in that location in a previous film but particularly like in the opening segments there is a ton of reused footage not as much as in uh, Silent Night Deadly Night Part 2 but you're sitting there and you're thinking like I've literally seen all of this before because it was literally in the last film and the film prior to this Two films ago and last film. I've literally seen this like an hour ago when I was watching the second one. Um, I think it's very interesting that they're performing Faust at the hotel um, during Insomnia. Faust, of course, one of my favorite silent films. um, If you guys have seen my top 10 silent films video. There's a great basement scene in this. It's probably like the standout moment of the film. And um, it's where, once again, we see the mannequin clowns and I will leave it at that, as to not give everything away, but it's a great, great scene in the basement with the mannequin clowns. Um, Some terrible CGI effects in this, um, at the end in particular. Not a big fan of those, Um, but overall I did relatively enjoy the film. I do like the film, I like the aesthetic of all the film, I like the way the films make me feel, even though the highest one I only rated 3, and then one of them got 1.5, this one gets 2.5, I do enjoy just this franchise in general. I do enjoy the Hell House LLC franchise, even though I can acknowledge that they are not particularly the greatest films from beginning to end. Um, the next film that was in my list for February, I watched it the following day. Hell House LLC uh, 2 and 3 were a double feature. I did a triple feature. The following day I must have been this must have been a weekend I must have been off and my wife must have been out of town if I was watching this many films in a weekend um, but I watched the last broadcast finally watched the last broadcast of course one of the first true found footage films predating the Blair Witch project um, I believe this was a year before um, year or two before maybe um, from 1998 What actually happened that night in the woods in December, 1995, a four man team from the public access program factor fiction braved the New Jersey's desolate pine barrens determined to deliver a live broadcast of the legendary Jersey devil. Of course, mythical creature Jersey devil. Um, I learned about the Jersey devil through cinema massacre. Actually, there's a film about the Jersey devil. Um, So that was the first time I had heard about him, but it's a very, very famous um, mythical creature, kind of like a Bigfoot scenario up in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. Um, but anyway, back to the synopsis. Only one of these journalists came out alive. It took the jury 90 minutes to sentence the lone survivor to life in prison. One year later, a filmmaker decides to mount his own investigation. So he's going in the Pine Barrens trying to figure out what happened because of this. And I really like the documentary feel of the film. It feels very nostalgic, even though I didn't grow up with it. I feel a weird sense of nostalgia to the last broadcast, just kind of the way it was shot, kind of the way it makes you feel throughout. I like how they actually play the voiceover tape. Um, and what I mean by that is they actually show the tape like moving as the voiceover is going on. You're not just listening to a voiceover with images and captions Um, It adds an extra little touch of realism that I really loved. What I don't like about this film is sort of the turning point when the film becomes something else. And I'll just straight up say it in here because I don't want you to go into this film and sort of be like blindsided by it. It just kind of stops being found footage. Um, (laughs) Towards the climax. It just stops being found footage. You see what is really going on it turns into like an actual film um towards the end from what i recall you see what is actually going on with this journalist who was making the film there's a big twist and i I, honestly i don't like that sort of twist they took with the story um i thought it would have been a lot better if they would have kept it straightforward but they i guess i won't say they tried to do something different because it was one of the first found footage movies ever but it definitely makes a film that could have been four stars only like 3. So I do really like it. I do recommend it as a found footage film especially for the historical aspects of it, you know, predating uh Blair Witch project and stuff like that. But as far as plot and like overall decisions they made with it, not the biggest fan of some choices they made particularly in the ending, but it still has a lot of unique ideas, still has a lot of good things to keep you interested and invested all the way through i was never bored during the film that's the big thing with like found footage people are like oh this is boring like you're just waiting for something to happen not the case in this not the case in the hell house llc series either um which i just talked about um coming up after that i watched lake mungo which is another film that i had been wanting to watch for many years since it came out it came out in 2008 I remember working at the family video store. If you guys don't remember family video stores, if you're too young to remember walking into a video store in your life, this was one of the, it was like one of the horror marathons, like the Knights of Terror, like selection picks or something. So it was like a cover art that I always saw. And it was always something I wanted to watch. And for whatever reason, I never ended up watching it until to now, until 2023. It took me until 2008- it took me until 2023 to watch this film. If you've never seen a ghost, look closer. After 16-year-old Alice Palmer drowns in a local dam, her family experiences a series of strange, inexplicable events centered in and around their home. Unsettled, the Palmers seek the help of a psychic and a parapsychologist who discover that Alice led a secret double life at Lake Mungo Alice's Secret Past Emerges This was a lot of fun To watch Um, It was something that I had wanted to watch For so many years It didn't live up to The preconceived hype That I had about it In my head I only gave it Two and a half stars But it was a film That I really enjoyed Watching But it was Sandwiched in between Two films That I actually Really enjoyed The Last Broadcast Although it had some problems, didn't really care for some of the aspects of it, I still really enjoyed watching it, but the film I watched after that, after Lake Mungo, was a film that I really loved watching, and that was The House by the Cemetery, which is something again that's been on a watch list for me for many years. This is from 81, it's a Fulci, um, I've been getting really into like Italian cinema in recent years, um, and House by the Cemetery. It's always had an iconic artwork to it. It's always been a film that I've wanted to watch, and it's on Shutter. So I was like, you know what? It's finally time to just bite the bullet, sit down, watch this as the last part of a triple feature. One thing that I liked when I was selecting these films was it wasn't just random. I picked all three films of these were under 90 minutes. So although I was doing a marathon, it wasn't like I was watching like fucking like Lord of the Rings back to back to back. I was picking stuff that was manageable. So three films under 90 minutes, it was a great triple feature for me. Unfortunately, the film in the middle was sandwiched in between two films that I enjoyed significantly more, especially this last one, House by the Cemetery, I really um, sort of went off with a bang with this triple feature. Read the fine print. You may have just mortgaged your life. After a doctor kills his mistress and himself while researching the mysterious previous owner of his Boston home, his colleague, Dr. Norman Boyle takes over his research and moves his family from New York City to that same Boston mansion. Soon after, Boyle's young son Bob becomes plagued by visions of a young girl who warns him of the danger within the house. If you haven't seen House by the Cemetery yet, it's definitely not in the like a tier horror films that you need to watch but definitely once you start getting into your b tier like you know your demons um and demons 2 um i'd even maybe put like no returning the living dead is definitely a tier but once you sort of get into like your lesser known sort of films this is like the cream of the crop this is one of the better ones that you could be watching so definitely add house by the cemetery to your watch list while it is still on shutter hopefully it's still on shutter by the time this episode releases Um, but house by the cemetery definitely gets three and a half stars from me. Really enjoyed it quite a bit. We're moving on to the month of March. It is the month of my birth, the month of my rebirth, the month of the year that kind of sucks. Um, March like weather wise is always trash. My stress levels are always super high in the month of March. Not a fan of the month of March in general. I'm not a St. Patrick's day guy. Um, Month of March, not one of my favorite months of the year. Unfortunate that my birthday takes place in a month that I don't really like. Did watch a lot of films this month. Not all of them were horror films. Got to the theater a couple times this month. Um, So overall, it was a decent month, although I don't really like March that much. And we will be starting off on March 1st with the first film that I watched of the month, which was Hush. Of course, from director Mike Flanagan, one of my favorite you know, sort of recent horror auteurs, Um, of course, the mastermind behind The Haunting of Hill House, Bly Manor, Um, he did Oculus, which is one of my favorite horror films to come out in the last, like, 15 years, I guess now, it's been out for a while, Um, maybe not 15, it's been out for 10-ish years, so definitely one of my favorite horror directors still working today, of course, he did Doctor Sleep, Um, Hush was a film he did in 2016, um, his first out of, um, he actually did a couple films in 2016, I guess. It was kind of a busy year for him, sort of these late, um, 2010s. He was doing a lot of shit during this time. Um, so of course it was directed by Mike Flanagan. Silence can be killer. A deaf woman is stalked by a psychotic killer in her secluded home. Um, it's a very simple story. It's a lot more basic than a lot of Flanagan's work which I think you know kind of works to the film's disadvantage but it also makes it more watchable um, and a lot easier to it's a lot easier to just put it on shut your brain off and watch something like this than it would be to watch something like Oculus or Haunting of Hill House or something like that a little more intense and Doctor Sleep of course very long film stuff like that so this is a simple you know less than an hour and a half just straightforward home invasion horror film um, it's got a very tense climax and a very tense opening, but I think the middle can kind of drag itself at times, Um, especially, you know, like, neighbors get involved, and it's like, oh, is this guy going in the house? Does he actually know her? Is this her creepy ex-boyfriend? Is this someone that she needs to be there? Or, like, what's going on with this? There's, like, a lot of stuff in the middle Which I think definitely kills the momentum quite a bit. I think you could have kept building... Um, from the beginning all the way up until the climax and had a much better experience throughout um, but for what it is as I said it's a nice simple it's a short film um, very easy to watch so Hush I do recommend it it's one of the Netflix like staples like I feel like it's been on Netflix since it came out and it has just stayed on Netflix like it never left I don't think it was a Netflix original or anything but it's just kind of that's where it lives that's where it's kind of always been yeah um, this was the second time I watched the film, but it was my first time rating it on Letterboxd. Um, for some reason, when I watched it the first time back when it first came out, um, I never rated it. So I rated it for the first time now. Because I, I would assume in 2016 I was on Letterboxd. Um, I can't really remember. Um, I'm sure I could find out by going to like the end of my diary or something. But regardless, coming up a few days later, I watched Last Night in Soho. Another film with Anya Taylor-Joy and directed by Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright, one of my favorite, like, comedy directors. Um, he, of course, did, you know, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, stuff like that. I mean, he did Baby Driver and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Um, this was his latest effort. Um, it does fall more into, like, psychological thriller. does have some horror elements to it as well. Um, this is one I definitely over overhyped myself for. Um, I thought it was gonna be way better than what it was although I still enjoyed it quite a bit it was still a three and a half star film for me uh, but I had just wished that there had been a little bit more to it than there was Um, for a film that seemed like it was gonna be very complex and have a lot of movie parts it was actually a lot more simplified than maybe I would have wanted it to be Um, when the past lets you in the truth will come out A young girl passionate about fashion design is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s where she encounters her idol, a dazzling wannabe singer. But 1960s London is not what it seems, and time seems to be falling apart with shady consequences. Um, And of course, there's a big twist at the end. Um, I like the environment and the worlds this sets up the modern world and the world of the 1960s i like the environment of course all the set pieces are good it's very well directed very well acted throughout um she's like staying in this house and there's an older woman who's like the landlord and she's trying to like build a relationship with her tell her stories stuff like that um and of course there are some twists and turns along the way Um, Obviously with her getting pulled into the 1960s for portions of it, seeing visions of the past, um, visions that maybe you wouldn't want to see. Maybe you're seeing a little bit of murder. Maybe you're seeing some things that are um, freaking you out a little bit. Maybe the person you're seeing in modern day, like out at the bar, who's a little older, maybe he's actually this creepy guy that you saw in the sixties. And there's a lot of stuff like that going on. So um, I do recommend the film. I do wish that it was a little bit better than what it was. But regardless for what it is, it's still three and a half. It's still good. So on March 9th, opening day for Scream 6, I talked to Miles. I'm like, bro, let's go to the theaters. Let's go see a film. Let's go see Scream 6, opening day. Um, actually, opening day maybe would have been the day before. But this was the Friday night. Let's go see a film. Miles says, we got to go see 65, which came out the same day as Scream 6. Um, 65, not a horror film. Um, It's more like, I can't can't even remember if it's PG or PG-13. Like, it felt like, I don't know. But regardless, we'll talk about it a little bit, because it still has a little bit of horror elements in it. And I mean, why not? We're here. We can talk about 65 for a little bit, which stars Adam Driver fighting the dinosaurs. It's a typical Miles movie. This movie has Miles written all over it. Um, 65 million years ago, prehistoric Earth had a visitor. 65 million years ago, the only two survivors of a spaceship from Samaris that crash-landed on Earth must fend off dinosaurs and reach the escape vessel in time before an imminent asteroid strikes threatens to destroy the planet. This is one of the most forgettable films of all time. It is Adam Driver and a young child trying to survive in a world of dinosaurs besides that i can't really tell you anything that happens it's just them getting from point a to point b they fight some dinosaurs they get in a rocket ship that's pretty much all there is to it for what it is it's pretty good for what it is i mean it's fine like it's a three star forgettable you put it in you watch it and then that's it it's just a popcorn movie it's a it should have been like a summer movie like it should have been like this came out like on the cusp of summer It was a weird mid-March movie. It was weird they released it the same day as Scream 6. Miles and I have talked about this on many other shows that they need to get better at spreading out releases. Like, you shouldn't release, like, two movies that are, like, bigger movies or, like, stuff with, like, A-list actors or stuff that are going to, like, draw people in the same weekend. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, Oppenheimer and Barbie coming out the same day. doesn't make any sense at all. Um, There's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense. Like, Scream 6 and... Um, 65, Like Five Nights at Freddy's and Saw 10 coming out on the same day. It's like, why would you do that? Um, but a couple days later, I went to the cinemas by myself, and I watched Scream 6, which is what we should have been watching originally. New York, New Rules. Following the latest Ghostface killings, the four survivors leave Woodsboro behind and start a fresh chapter in New York City. One of the greatest openings in Scream franchise history. The opening to this one it rivals I'm not going to say it rivals the um <clears throat> the opening in the original cuz the original one is phenomenal, but it is a very good opening like post uh pre um opening credits kind of scenario. Very very good. I love the film throughout. Um probably my second favorite in the Scream franchise. It only has a couple parts in it that warrant bitching about. Um, and I've brought it up on other shows, but this film is basically, it does the most fuck you in any franchise film besides Halloween ends by, and by that, I mean, Halloween's ends was a big fuck you to the entire franchise leading up to it. And all the fans that paid money to go see it, but scream six, it scream five kind of did like the soft reboot kind of thing, sort of leading people in where you don't necessarily need to see all of the other films in order to enjoy scream five scream six comes along and basically goes balls to the wall with that says fuck you to anyone who hasn't seen every single scream movie and literally puts up on a police bulletin board the killers from every single scream movie thus spoiling every single plot twist in the scream franchise revealing who all the killers are right there in broad daylight up on a fucking i swear to god they're like even breaking down the killers like one by one and describing them and how they did it literally ruining every movie in the franchise up until that point if you haven't seen them already and it makes no sense because then if you have seen them already it's not like you need to hear these stories again they don't need to really re-explain themselves but they do so it's a very just unnecessary scene in the film very unnecessary moment um which like as i said if you haven't seen every film in the scream franchise it pretty much ruins it for you um the other thing that kind of took me out of it is that the main detective character in this is played by the dude who was gavin in friends um what i can't even remember oh dermot Mulroney is his name he plays detective bailey in this um very famous rachel boyfriend from the show friends and of course monica geller um, Courtney Cox is also in Scream Six, so the entire time I'm watching this film, all I'm thinking about is friends. So that's a very me issue. I can't hold that against the film itself, but regardless, it warrants mention. So Scream Six, I give it four stars. I think it's very good. Um, it's very close to four and a half. If it didn't have, there were a couple other like nitpicky things in there, like nothing really worth bringing up or you know arguing about. But the whole there's so many things in this that I think. We're on the cusp of greatness. Um, I, I maybe I need to rewatch it. Maybe it was just sort of recency bias, seeing it in the theater. Um, but I really do think it's the second best one besides the original, which is surprising because it's like a new environment. You know, uh, Neve Campbell doesn't return and stuff like that. But I think it's a worthy contender um, to second best in the franchise for sure. Later that day. On Peacock, I watched the unrated version of Megan, a film that everyone had been telling me to see. My wife saw it in theaters, she loved it. Miles saw it in theaters, surprisingly didn't love it, which was very weird, because it seems like a very Miles movie. Um, it was something that everyone, basically except Miles, was sort of raving about, so that it was very good. And I finally got around to watching it, like, two months late. Friendship has evolved. A brilliant toy company roboticist uses artificial intelligence to develop Megan, a real-life doll programmed to emotionally bond with her newly orphaned niece. But when the doll's programming works too well, she becomes overprotective of her new friend with terrifying results. Um, It's a nice twist on the killer doll movie, of course, from Twilight Zone, stuff like Child's Play, stuff like that. I feel like they really... When they made this film, they knew they were making trash. I feel like they tried to make something stupid, but it ended up actually turning out way better than they intended it to be. It's sort of like a reverse sort of psychology, I guess, a, re- a reverse, you know, sort of result than what they were planning on. You know, you have people like Tommy Wiseau making the room, trying to make like this epic drama, and it turns out being one of the best comedies of all time. I feel like this tried to be so stupid and so campy and so unwatchable that it actually turned out to be pretty good um i don't think it's anything groundbreaking it's not something i am going to be returning to um frequently or maybe ever again and like it's not something i'm going to be popping in every year to go watch but it was a good one-time watch it was a good three stars um like i said the humor is good in it um the acting is good in it um there's the scene where um, Megan is stalking the kid at the, it's basically like a little like after school program like summer camp kind of thing and she tracks him down in the woods that scene is great um, there's a lot of stuff in the film that I really do like like, like I said, they wanted it to be like this campy B-movie, which it is, but I think it actually sort of rises above that and becomes just an actual good film and loses sort of it's like camp quality. Um, I'm excited for Megan 2.0, that should be coming out very soon very excited for that one Coming up a few days later, I watched *Perfect Blue*, one of the most um, highly regarded anime films of all time from Satoshi Kon, um, who I am a big fan of. His film *Preprika*, another one, is one of my favorites. Um, I've been wanting to see *Tokyo Godfathers* for a long time, um, which is one of his like Christmassy films. Um, it takes place around the holidays so excited to see that too Um, I saw Perfect Blue a long time ago so again this was another like first watch on Letterboxd it does get pretty intense there are some intense moments in it so definitely watch it with caution Um, but it is one of the most you know kind of beautiful highly regarded um, one of the best anime films of all time in my opinion and the critics also agree The Color of Illusion is Perfect Blue a retired pop singer turned actress' sense of reality is shaken when she is stalked by an obsessed fan and seemingly a ghost of her past. Um, Again, one of the best of all time. Not too, too much to say about it, but it's definitely an essential watch if you like anime. It's an essential watch if you don't like anime and you're just a horror fan. It should be in one of those lists of like thousand films to see before you die or hundred films to see before you die because that's definitely one... That I feel like most people need to check off their bucket list. Um, coming up in the the later portion of March here. There were a lot of films I watched that were not horror films. But I'll bring them up just because I fucking love bringing them up. I rewatched all the Wallace and Gromit movies. I and mean, one of them actually is sort of horror. Actually they all have scary shit in them. We're going to talk about Wallace and Gromit for a minute guys. So we uh i also watched train spotting in that too so let's talk about train spotting just for a little bit before we go on the wallace and gromit um iceberg and the wallace and gromit uh i don't know what i'm calling it the wallace and gromit sort of sidetrack the side quest of wallace and gromit we will talk about train spotting just for a little bit of course directed by danny boyle choose life mark renton deeply immersed in the edinburgh drug scene tries to clean up and get out despite the allure of drugs and influence of friends this is a horror film because drugs are fucking scary especially hard drugs like this um one of the most classic films of all time again this is another one that if you haven't seen it this is one to get off your bucket list um the scene where the baby and i'm not ruining anything because everyone has seen this image it's been parodying in, in family guy and all kinds of shit. When the baby is on the roof and he's just screaming his head off, it's it's a scene you will never forget. So train spotting definitely gets another one for me, another solid buddy seal of approval for me. So now as we round out the month of March, I also saw Clerks 3 during this. I did not like the ending of Clerks 3 because I think it was very stupid to do what they could have done because they could have done Clerks 4 and kept going, which they might still do, but I don't like... I don't know, I have some problems with Clerks 3, but there's some things about Clerks 3 that I really love, because Clerks 3 is a movie about making movies, and that is my favorite subgenre of film. But anyway, everything else besides that I watched in this month were Wallace and Gromit related. So there are, of course, the three original short films, the feature-length film, Wallace and Gromit, Curse of the Were-Rabbit, and the newer short film, which was undeniably not as good as the rest of the things in the franchise but of course A Grand Day Out from 1989 Wallace and Gromit have run out of cheese and this provides an excellent excuse for the animated duo to take the holiday to the moon where as everyone knows there is ample cheese, the moon is inhabited by a mechanical caretaker who is not happy about the two visitors from earth that nibble on the moon obviously one of the greatest sci-fi horror films of all time Wallace and Gromit are Grand Day Out There is a robot on the moon trying to kill these guys. I can't think of anything scarier than that. Certified sci-fi horror classic. Coming up next, The Wrong Trousers. This, of course, from 1993. All these directed by Nick Park, by the way. Gromit finds himself being pushed out of his room and home by a new lodger who is actually a ruthless criminal and a small penguin. The Penguin is planning a robbery and needs to use Wallace and his mechanical remote controlled by Trousers to pull off the raid. However, Gromit is wise to the Penguin and comes to the rescue. One of the greatest espionage horror films of all time. There is a Penguin with a gun trying to shoot you. And he's living in your house. He's doing freaky ass shit in your house. Certified espionage home invasion Horror classic. Coming up right after that, we have A Close Shave from 1995, also directed by Nick Park. Wallace's whirlwind romance with the proprietor of a local wool shop puts his head in a spin, and Gromit is framed for sheep rustling in a fiendish criminal plot. One of the most potentially gory kidnapping basically slasher films of all time. Wallace and Gromit A Close Shave. There is a villain who is turning these sheep into dog food. and He's kidnapping sheep. He's stealing their wool. He's trying to kidnap Sean the sheep who is now living with Wallace and Gromit. He's trying to kill Wallace. Kill Gromit. Very gory potential slasher horror film. Then we have the creature feature. Wallace and Gromit. The Curse. Of the Were Rabbit. Directed in 2005 by Nick Park and Steve Box. Something bunny is going on. Cheese loving eccentric Wallace and his cunning canine pal Gromit investigate a mystery in Nick Park's animated adventure, in which the lovable inventor and his intrepid pup run a business ridding the town of garden pests. Using only humane methods that turn their home into a halfway house for an evicted vermin, the pair stumble upon a mystery involving a a vegetarian monster that threatens to ruin the annual veggie growing contest. One of the greatest creature features of all time. One of the greatest monster on the loose horror films of all time. Wallace and Gromit: The Curse of the Were-Rabbit. Incredible. It was actually the winner of the Oscar that year for best animated feature film. Incredible masterpiece. And I'm not saying any of this sarcastically, by the way. I love Wallace and Gromit. I know my tone is being very strange and I'm acting like an asshole, but I actually love these films a lot. Then we watch *The Matter of Loaf and Death. Wallace and Gromit open a bakery, accidentally getting tied up with a murder mystery in the process. But when Wallace falls in love, Gromit is left to solve the case by himself. Again, not as good as the rest, but still relatively enjoyable. Um, Probably the only one I'm not going to really revisit too often. But again, another great murderous horror film. Wallace and Gromit, a matter of loaf and death. And that rounds out the month of March, and that's actually going to round out all of the films that I'm talking about in this podcast. I can't think of a better note than ending this on this Wallace and Gromit rampage. I can't think of a better way to end this portion of the podcast. I can't think of a better way to end part one of every single horror film I saw in 2023 reviewed. I can't think of a better way to end it. So we're going to end it with this. I thank all of you guys for listening and watching. I thank all of you for sticking with me through my insanity. And I will see you guys in the outro, which I'm going to be recording momentarily. Even though I could do the outro now, you know I like to put in the music and I do a little separate outro. So this is the outro, the intro to the outro, which is coming in right now. Well, that's about it this time, guys. Welcome to the real outro of the show. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Once again, I want to remind you guys, if you haven't already, to please make sure you're subscribing to my channel and subscribing to the show wherever you're listening to the show, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get the show, make sure you are supporting the show, sharing with a friend, and doing all of those great things. Follow me on social media. Um, I appreciate all the love and support you guys have been giving me over the past few years. And with that, I will be back here again for another episode of the House of Horror coming out very, very soon. So with that, you guys, take care and stay spooky.